Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time for Mortgage Matters. Well, hello, good morning. Thanks much for being with us. Dang, looks like it's the final show of September, Dan. It sure does. <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> I'm talking. Got the mic in my neck. Wrangling the... <laughs> Well, the this... monitor in your way. Yeah, I was having yeah. like that combination head lo- head uh, phone microphone computer. There's too problem. many screens in this room. <laughs> don't they know there's like a ten by ten room? We don't need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven screens in here. Yeah, ah, I know. And I'm absurd. using three of I'm using three of them over here. Well, what's so this get... one doing? It's just in my. That way. is for King for the morning show for mm. news. All right. Yeah. He sits in the same chair. I guess chair I'll let it do. slide. Yeah. We'll give him a second to like get organized, <clears throat> yeah, settle good. everything. I'm here. I'm so yeah. good. I'm well, you know, maybe not running in a minute before the show would kind of help. No. I do my <laughs> Jim, what you don't know about me is I do my best work under pressure. Okay. <clears throat> and here I am. <laughs> I thought you were just going to uh, stop it. I do my best. <laughs> Jim, that you don't know about me as I'm doing my best. I'm just trying. Right now. I'm here trying. I showed up. Excellente. <clears throat> uh, so what's a good word? What's new? You know, just I did my first trip to Texas this last week. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. How's the economy in Texas? Does it still uh, feel different than California? <laughs> um, I mean, it was different. That's for sure. Definitely different. It was, um, did you see lots of construction? I did see lots of construction, although I felt it was more, um, like big projects, bigger commercial type projects. There was some high rise construction. Mm -hmm. There was some, um, you know, four to eight story condo type construction. Um, I, I saw a lot of that kind of stuff going on. What really struck me about Texas, or at least the area that I was in, I was in Austin. I was, we stayed at a friend's house um, in a neighborhood called Travis Heights. Oh, yeah. Travis Heights is an older established neighborhood in the area. Really nice old homes. Um, But what really struck me was the mix of the old original construction and the new, very modern contemporary style. Saw a lot of metal. Saw a lot of horizontal... um, like wood fencing, which is kind of modern. A lot of like the wire and metal rails kind of. Th- it was very interesting mix of old and new on a lot of the homes. Huh. It wasn't just a home here or there. It was you walk down a street in the neighborhood and it seemed like upwards of 50, 60 percent of the homes had that mix of, of old and new going yeah. on. Found it to be very interesting. Texas has a reputation of not even having zoning. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) really? I think some of the newer places, obviously, that are getting a little bit more, you know, similar in feel and design, they're starting to have there. But otherwise, like out in the country, it's not uh, impossible to have two uses that don't seem possible to be next to one another, be right next to one another. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My impression when I was there is that there, yeah, it just seems like there's a lot going on. The hustle and bustle of the economy. Um 
you said big those big commercial or you know multi-story high-rise condos that kind of thing definitely a lot more of that and i always look at that why why california doesn't seem to have those same kind of projects um whenever we get numbers for building permits or new housing starts they always say well these can be skewed by large projects and you know other parts of the country and stuff I feel like we don't see a lot of that stuff around here. I always wonder why, it, or, or and are we going to catch up to that at some point? Well, I I noticed that difference obviously, but I think I attributed it to being the difference between a big city and a small town. It's definitely a metropolitan. Because when I go to Sacramento to visit to go home visit family, I see those same types of projects. There's okay. a lot of emphasis on developing the urban center yeah yeah. they're they're doing more of those mixed use um things in the downtown core in in a big city like sacramento and i i do see that actively going on so i didn't think that i just thought that was really the difference between the size and scale of the of the two towns yeah really but you know one of the things also that struck me was i i was kind of expecting to go to texas and just you know seeing seeing amazing homes that were going to be like $150,000. And it was probably just the neighborhood I was in. The neighborhood you were in was a, <laughs> is a better one. Yeah. Cause I pulled a few flyers and they were up, they were comparable, plus, huh? Yeah. Plus. Yeah. And they yeah. weren't like huge homes or, you know, they were older homes. Some had been updated, but um, I think you, if you need that affordable stuff, you get in the outskirts, but Austin's been one of the, kind of premier places i mean i remember reading articles a few years ago that that was the place to buy real estate because of the there's so many people that are relocating there that's that was the another thing and i think that was similar to here you know it seems like so many people you meet here and so many people i met there weren't necessarily from there they they were transplanted somehow i yeah it was it was very noticeable it was like i think maybe one out of four people that I met were actually from Austin. It might have even been less than that. Um, it seemed like it was a very, it was a very inviting town um, that welcomed everyone. There's obviously the big university there, so that that's a draw. And there's a lot of you know cool stuff to do. Great music scene. How was um, the weather? Did you? It was warm. <laughs> it was warm. Did you find Austin to be somewhat similar to like Sacramento? Because. Um, University capital. Uh, yeah, maybe, just, maybe. Yeah. I think there are some similarities. Um, no, man, no. you cannot be in Austin without recognizing that you're like in one of the music hubs of the world. Well, yeah, that, and that to me that sets a lot of the culture of Austin. I mean, it's definitely um, a great city for more. You know, I and it seems to me like it's a pretty mature city. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's one of the more decent ones, a clean city. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah. I mean, especially that downtown core area. But the music thing's kind of unreal. There's like just the overpass through town. There'll be a piano on it or bands playing jazz in a gas station. Something weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I saw some music. It wasn't to the same scale as. Um, my experience in like new orleans oh because <laughs> um, i i that was what or I nashville had, that was what yeah. i had in mind when i was going there because that's the reputation that it has but um i did catch it a couple weeks before the south by southwest thing so maybe there was a bit going of a, quiet. a breather before it gets really 
perhaps really wild um or maybe it was just what i was doing um but yeah it was it, it didn't feel it wasn't like la it wasn't like san francisco it had more of a yeah. of a approachable type of feel to it for, you know and and i think in that way i did feel like it was more like sacramento growing up in sacramento i, I always described it as a family friendly bigger city yeah. um and that's kind of the feel i got in austin it felt like it was just so inviting for all, all walks, really yeah. yeah it was a, it was a nice place weather-wise definitely hard um a good place to visit <laughs> definitely weather-wise definitely lot, like sacramento yeah when it you're was, leaving yeah, you're like humidity i'm gonna miss <laughs> this place but i'm ready for some different weather yeah what i got tired of was um you know escaping the heat and air yeah. condition i god i breathed so much conditioned air while i was there it was dry and it does Gross. something to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was... Successful trip, though. It was fun. Yeah, it was a good time. Good cool. experience. Yeah. Good. Right on. Well, we we missed you. While I was gone, I was obviously keeping an eye on what was happening with the Fed. And I even... Did I reach out to you or did I just look at... I might have just looked up myself. Um, but I saw that they held interest rates the same, which kind of... I, I felt a sense of relief that... I wasn't away when things went wild. When the change happened. <laughs> yeah, because right? yeah, I was, I, you know, the stress of leaving work behind um, sure. was already there. I didn't need more on it. Yeah, and, you know, you looked into it, but the flyby was that uh wasn't time for rates to go up. But Yellen's made it very clear and it's been talked about since that they still think this year could be the appropriate time. Yeah. So you never know. And then the other really interesting thing was, um, of course, and you know, I don't want to go too far into this because we did talk about it quite a bit last week, but Yellen made the comment that housing is very depressed, which was interesting. Um, and yeah, so anyways, the markets have been kind of dealing with that news. We saw that still a little bit this week is trying to figure out when rates might go up and, you know, all eyes on housing. We got to we got a couple of reads this week, some things that give us an idea of what is going on, um, tying into, you know, what we were talking about a minute ago with that construction and growth and, you know, how it relates to the economy. U.S. sales of new homes last month um, jumped 5.7%, which was the fastest pace in seven years. Um, I think that's a, a telling thing. Everybody agrees that these new construction homes um, just construction of housing in general, whether it be a tract or the one-off homes, that that's evidence of the health of the economy. When those lending options are available, the builders feel comfortable coming out and building. I mean, that's really that's really telling. Um, and of course, these these numbers here about the best building numbers in seven years say that it's it's buoyed by steady steady job gains and low mortgage rates um, since. The interest rate got um, was held by the Fed. Um, it felt like a cut. The fat that was built in dropped out a little bit. I mean, on as an average, what I'd have to say is whatever your interest rate is, your closing costs probably got about three quarters of a point better um, across the board, probably all programs. So um, in, in many cases, that allowed people to either drop their interest rate by about an eighth of a percent um, or just enjoy a closing cost credit, kind of erasing the closing costs in the transaction. 
So the Fed's doing nothing seem to uh, help us and lower our rate just a little bit, which creates a little bit more uh, activity. I do. I feel like we got some more phone calls. We got some people checking in about refinancing again because you start to see that if we're moving along in these little ups and downs, we're at the trough again. Um, and it's not been a very <laughs> wide range, but a good one. Um, new home sales were up a seasonally adjusted rate of 552,000. Um, and that's the strongest pace since seen in 2008. And I love that these articles now I'm catching on, uh, they're all beginning to write about what new construction really means to everyone. And um, I, again, I went down that rabbit hole. I was thinking that if you just wanted to write out a list of what industries are benefited when we build a home, it's far reaching. I mean, it starts with the architects, planners, um, lenders, and then you got graders and framers, roofers, electricians, plumbers, landscapers, carpet installers, tile layers. I mean, it, it just, the list seems immense that you, you just have to agree to stop at some point. And it reminds us again, that when we see these good new home numbers, um, it, it really does mean that, uh, we're, we're heading in the right direction. So again, I, I feel a little bit that I can't, um, quite wrap my hand around how Yellen would, um, say that the fed would describe housing as very depressed right now. It's interesting to me. Um, maybe their expectations are just so much higher than mine. Um, or there must be other parts of the country where it's just dismal. You said you're seeing million plus homes. I mean, you, you in Travis Heights, I, I don't doubt that, but, um, did you get out into any of the outskirts and, and see what's going on? Is there a lot of inventory? I didn't get, I, I went outside of the city of Austin. Um, but I didn't really see the housing so much there's a lot of open space outside the the city core yeah um i drove about i guess it was half hour 45 minutes south to a town called lockwood and um it was a pretty small town i didn't notice a lot of housing yeah I wasn't all necessarily looking for it either yeah well around here <clears throat> the story's the same if you're ready to buy a home better get in there and get pretty competitive there's not a lot around and you're going to slug it out if you're going to be the winner uh, most of these things, if they're priced well, are selling all the way at the list price, if not sometimes more. Um, and of course, when we talk like that, I'm, I'm talking about that that average home. If you go to the start stepping up into the 800 or million plus homes, those ones obviously you're going to have a little bit of a different story. Um, <clears throat> So anyways, it's, yeah, it's great to hear that there's been further improvement in the housing market, and I, I expect that it's going to continue. Um, we'll be looking forward to seeing uh, if that trend sticks around. That's the job creation. I mean, that's the that's that part, and I and I really do think that there's a, a good tie there to wages. Um, it is kind of the overall strength of the economy, it feels like. It's already 9.20, which makes me want to take a break. Does it make you want to take a break, Jim? Sure. Seems like the right Dan. time. All right. Good. I think we should probably take a break, seeing as how we kind of all want to take a break. Yeah, it feels like a good yeah, time. Yeah, it feels a like a good time. <laughs> 
We're going to uh, take a quick break, take some time out to thank the sponsors. We'll be back in a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, welcome back. We're just chugging along here on Mortgage Matters. I make you think of Texas here. It I does. Mean, you didn't get to Dallas, did you? I didn't, no. Oh. What's this, the theme song? Dallas. Dallas. My dad used to oh, love Oh, that show. show. Yeah. J.R. Ewing. Who shot J.R.? Miss Ellie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I never watched that show. Oh, I did. Yeah. Huh. I think it's still one of the highest rated episodes of television ever, Who Shot JR? I'll tell you what I know about that show. Hmm. Is in The Wedding Singer, okay, a classic movie. Tell me you've seen The Wedding Singer, fellas. Yes. Yeah. Um, they're getting, Adam Sandler's living in his sister's basement, and he's going to watch the kids while his sister and um, brother-in-law go on a date. And he's the brother's got like a perm, 
you know, because it's set back. And he says, hang on. I think somebody shot JR. <laughs> like he, he, that's what I know about that. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting tidbits. See if you hang out with me, you'll just get to hear a bunch of that's totally, right. That's right. Totally worth. Dan and I can stuff. go ahead and leave the room now, and you can just kind of keep going. <laughs> the other, um, the other component to the Fed meeting last week that uh, is beginning to get some publicity i mean yesterday after um boehner stepped down right you heard that i did yeah that speaker kind of, of the house decided he no longer was going to do i i was kind of uh you know obviously we, we try not to get too political on the show here and i i certainly don't intend to today i saw an interview recently with boehner where he said i'm not going anywhere anytime soon and then all of a sudden here, I mean, it's a short couple months later, and he's out. And the talk, of course, starts because uh, there's, a, there's a couple things that are afoot again. I mean, obviously, we've got this presidential election coming up. We're already getting plenty of the divide. What side are you on? Who do you want to fight with? What are your points to argue? Um but this month on September 30th, we're facing potentially another government shutdown. Did uh, you know, I, I hate to interrupt you there, Jason, but do you think the timing of his stepping down and the fact that Pope Francis is here and all the media's effect, you know, on that, do you, do you think he timed it purposefully? That, that he can kind of slip out slip while out? there's attention elsewhere? Yeah. I don't think so. And I don't know that there's an awful lot of slipping out. Um, it, it's something that will be continued to be talked about quite a bit. Mm. I think it's an interesting play because if you think about it from the fact that the yeah. Democrats and the Republicans can't figure out how to balance the budget right now because they yeah. can't agree on the the plans or spending issues that both parties have drawn these you know firm lines in the sand. Mm -hmm. And if Boehner is feeling like the reason or the distraction or the thing that these guys blame it on, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, maybe he just gets out of the way and says, you know, I'm not going to be a part of this again as we get down into the government shutdown. And, and really, uh, I, that's what's coming. Mm -hmm. And there are obvious political issues at hand that prevent there from likely being a budget signed on the 30th. And it'll come down again to uh, depending where your politics lie and which politicking you like more, mm -hmm. you'll have an opinion to to wage as a whose fault it is and how the problem is solved. Um, and I think part of it, at least, is just Boehner just saying, I'm not going to be a part of that. And if, if you consider me the reason why we've been an, unable to do a budget unable to to guarantee that the government doesn't shut down on the 30th then i'm out of here mm -hmm. so um yeah doesn't matter much if you like boehner or not in the in the big picture uh or his politics or what side you're leaning or not it's an interesting little shake up nonetheless um see who emerges uh see how it how it affects things overall I saw in that same interview I saw with Boehner, he said they asked him if he would run for president. Mm -hmm. And he said that he liked scotch 
and cigarettes too much to be president. <laughs> and so there's plenty of yeah. people that were saying, you know, oh, well, you know, because he Boehner tweeted something about the Pope coming to town and how blessed we were. And mm -hmm. I was reading through the comments back on his tweet and people were just hammering the guy mm -hmm. about, oh, you're you're such a, a hypocrite and this and that, just attacking him over mm -hmm. not being, you know, worthy to even to speak of the Pope. Yeah. And, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I, I kind of, I wondered, like I, after I heard that Boehner was stepping down, I sat back in my chair and thought, um, is dude getting ready to try to run for president? That was my first thought. I don't know that, yeah. I don't know that I think so, <clears throat> but Hey, I guess we'll all wait and see. Um, you know, and that's, that's probably the last thing the Republican party needs. Another one more one? hat in the ring. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, interestingly enough, um, this sequestration talk, this stuff's all going to start coming up again pretty quick, right? I mean, September 30th is the magic number, and um, it seems like we're, from what I can tell right now, we're certainly headed for another government shutdown. So that'll be fun. Watch and see that. We won't have just another kick the can down the road. Maybe, but don't you think these guys on both sides, the the two parties almost like to have the government shut down for a few days to draw maximum attention to the, the fact that they can't agree? Well, they might be able to have a good talking point to point fingers at one another during the next election. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and and I'm... Probably oversimplifying this, but from what I can tell, it seems that the primary function of the or the primary obstacle in the budget right now seems to be the Planned Parenthood funding. And so oh, I guess we'll just watch, wait and see what happens. Um, I don't know. It's not it certainly doesn't help, though. Right. I mean, if you're. We already, everybody, I think, is already kind of putting their politics guard up a little bit. We're a couple Republican debates in. There's already been some pretty chunky talk that certainly reminds us that we don't all agree. <laughs> <laughs> right? And already the mudslinging. And, um, and this year it feels like it's especially bad because Donald Trump is just willing to yeah. criticize somebody based on the weirdest things. Like he... Yeah, and we still have more of this. Um, we're not really saying what we would do in a certain situation. No, or, just you know. what the yeah, yeah. what you the know. just how ugly Carly Fiorina yeah. is. You I know, don't like basically. the way you look. Uh, that's, exactly. he, that's not the only person he doesn't like. No, it's <laughs> go up and down the list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, but if I worry in that approach. You know, and and by the way, don't don't call or email me if you're a big Trump fan. I don't care. I'm certainly not even taking a stance on it, no. but I just don't like that it's furthering this climate where the, the what we need to do is criticize one another. Mm -hmm. Give me the microphone because I have something terrible to say about you. And somebody no, 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 no. A, a very interesting point to me the other day, too, about um, pissing off the Mexican population, the Latino population and stuff with Donald Trump. Well, who works in his hotels? 
I bet you he. Em- <laughs> I I bet he employs you know? um, yeah. plenty of ethnicities, and you know. half the time I wonder how many of these comments are simply made just to get some free publicity. I'm sure. Two weeks ago, they were I'm bragging sure. about how he's he's not even cracking into his budget. He's prepared to spend a hundred million dollars on his own campaign. He's not taking money from all the other parties and stuff, but. Half the time, he's not having to even spend any money because everybody wants to talk about what he's talking about. So now he's riding that wave by continuing. So who's the next little somebody or other you can make a comment about to get another interview? Yeah. You know, I don't know. But like I said, for me, all it reminds me of is that the popular thing to do is to be critical and nasty to one another and not get along well. Um, and now we're going to have that again reiterated to us at the same time now, the end of the month here, where Congress can't figure out how to, to get us a budget to ensure that on the first, the government is open and running as it should be, right? And you remember um, the government shutdown happens quite a bit. Yeah. So some people don't get some checks and some services don't get... Um, performed and you know all in all what you end up with is that sensation like for me I I don't I'm not getting a social security check or any other kind of check from the government that makes me feel like um, the shutdown has a great effect on me right. but if we got to right. go to work every day we yeah. don't we have to perform we have to get it done our government should be able to as well Absolutely. So then it's just disappointing to me that we've created an environment in which these standoffs could then lead to, uh, you know, the government shutting down for for whatever reason. Um, yeah, but I'm not so sure about Donald Trump being able to help out a budget either because hasn't, how many probably, times has he kind of gone bankrupt and, you know, and. Uh, I think he's never been personally bankrupt, but though he's he's bankrupt. Corporations, in, corporations yeah. yeah, he's he's, he's bankrupt at some I projects, essentially. Yeah, <clears throat> which I don't think is completely uncommon for somebody that does such scale of business that he does. I mean, he, he, once you get in there and figure it out, there's there's definitely another conversation within there. That that business part of how you run things is probably the one thing where I think. Um, Trump probably does have an edge on on the rest of them. He's he, the guy's good with the numbers and knows how to make a profit. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I'll say about that. So what else, Dan? Tell me some other things. I don't know. Tell me something I don't know right now. I don't know that there is anything. <laughs> I. I it's kind of a quiet news week this week. You know, I I keep hearing more and more, of course, the, all this talk about the CFPB and the, the fines and penalties. They're crashing down on people all over the place, lending institutions that just aren't doing the right thing. Heard some layoffs. Aquin is, has been feeling pinched. They're laying off t- 10% of their staff right now. Um, other the big servicers, yeah, huge mortgage company. Most people that have Aquin, by the way, are not very impressed with Aquin. Well, they were one of the big servicers during the subprime era, and so a lot of people have familiarity with them because they worked with Aquin on a loan modification or some kind of restructuring of their loan during the last five years. That that's probably where most people's experiences. Um, 
Yeah. A um, lot of changes happen within lending programs lately, um, primarily FHA. And it's a lot of weird things. None of it feels super monumental to have to announce, but a, a lot of just little interesting things are getting tweaked in the guidelines. And of course, we're getting ready for the new TRID um, compliant disclosures that are coming out next week. Um, it's going to change the loan process just a little bit. There are a lot of real estate agents that listen to the show. And so um, I don't think this stuff is very interesting for everybody, but I did think that probably we want to talk about it a little bit. Um, if for no other reason, I think than to put some concerns at rest about what these changes mean for our industry. Um, and essentially here's the deal is, um, there's a big change coming and the change replaces a few forms with a couple of others. Um, there's elimination of three forms, the addition of two new forms. And essentially, I think this entire piece of regulation here is intended at uh, helping the consumer have more time to, to decide if they're making the right decision, right? And so... What happens is now in the beginning of the transaction, see today, if you begin a loan transaction, uh, it's already in place that before we can collect money from you for the appraisal fee or the credit report fee or really any other fee, we have to produce loan disclosures that, that clearly outline, outline the terms of the deal. And most importantly, those initial disclosures have got um, like the commission charges and things on there that, that really aren't allowed to change later. So it's a, it's an attempt to sort of say to the borrower, Hey, here's the rules of engagement. And before you get financially handcuffed to this thing by having to write a check, you can understand this, right? It was a, by the way, when I worked at countrywide, it was a really big philosophy of countrywide that on the first at the first opportunity, in fact, as early as I ever could, please get the borrower to write the check. It was a $535 check, which covered your appraisal and your credit report fee. And the reason being is the salespeople in the company had decided that if you could get that check out of a borrower, have them write that check, they were less likely then to go compare with other lenders or get cold feet and backed out. Now they had ponied up some money. Nobody wants to just, you know, tear up 500 bucks into the wind. So that was a big goal, right? So today the rules are such that the loan has to be disclosed before you can take money from the borrower to spend on anything, you know, be it the appraisal or whatever. Under these new rules, that will still be true. But now we'll have a three-day period where once you've received those disclosures, you really cannot order an appraisal or spend any money um, for three full days. I, you know, it's fine. It'll be fine. We're going to have a little adjustment because basically it's kind of like, you know, just letting the clock run for three days while nobody's really doing much else. And, and I don't have a problem with that. I don't think it's going to have a significant impact in the transaction. Um, and then when you get down to the other parts of this change, 
um, at the closing of the loan, you have to issue a closing disclosure statement that shows the borrower exactly what it is that they're going to be doing at the closing. These are what the numbers are. These are what the terms are. You clearly understand them. And then again, there'll be a three-day wait period between receiving, proving that your borrower received the closing disclosure um, three days before they're allowed to sign the note and actually move towards closing. Um, so in that case, that this becomes one of the sticking point. If this is being talked about, this is a place where people say, well, see, there's the problem. And um, the, the, that's going to cause delays because oftentimes you're just barely getting clear to close right at the very end. And in that situation, issuing that dic disclosure and then enforcing a three-day wait is just going to re- it's just going to derail the transaction right there at the end. Um, at our company, and I think many of the companies will figure out how to do better than um, the obvious choice here, which is you can't wait until the loan is clear to close to produce that closing disclosure. You're going to have to orchestrate it a little bit better so that the closing disclosure comes out probably three days before the loan is clear to close so that that wait doesn't cause a problem. Um, and by the way, there's a, there's a couple of things where if you have issued a closing disclosure and you're in that three-day wait, there's a couple of things that can happen where you need to reissue the closing disclosure and wait an additional three days. Uh, I was talking with Wes over at Patterson the other day about this change and they're pretty nervous about it. The realtors are pretty nervous about this. They, they feel like it, it potentially adds six or more days to their transaction and, and per, perhaps is going to impair their ability to close deals on time. Um, what they're most concerned about is right there at the end, like the loan is clear to close and the closing disclosure has been given to the borrower and you're in the three day wait and then something changes, right? Cause most of the time when you're buying a home, you do a, a walkthrough at closing where you go, hey, is the paint still good? Is the carpet still good? You know, did they move out like they said they would? Is the garage empty? Did you leave me a cabinet full of, you know, chemicals or something that I don't want to have to deal with? But so you go through and you figure that whole thing out. And I don't know what percentage of the time it is. I imagine it's pretty small. But sometimes there are things that come up at that very last part that are, that are been negotiated or, um, you know, for example, let's say a termite report, you might be working on the termite report and understanding what corrections are needed for the first couple of weeks of the transaction. Then at the very end, you finally agreed on how it's going to be handled and maybe the buyer's getting a credit or there's some work going to be performed. And those things getting ironed out too close to the end, um, these guys are really, the realtors are really f afraid um, that this is going to be problematic. So really simply, there's only three things um, that can happen at the end of the loan where you would have to do a new closing disclosure. It's when the APR is determined to be inaccurate from when you first disclose the borrower. So if your lender doesn't know what they're doing and they disclose one that proves to be inaccurate, then you need to give a new one. Um, and then otherwise, 
changes to the interest rate or loan type, like a, a fixed rate to an arm, the addition of a balloon payment, the addition of interest-only terms, um, this would require a new closing disclosure. Nobody's deciding that in the final days of a loan. You don't add those kind of features in the final days of a loan. You don't even... Most of those riskier features aren't even present on loans. And usually you figured out if you want a 15 or a 30-year or an arm. Well before yeah. the final days of closing. And then lastly, um, you would need a new closing disclosure if you add a prepayment penalty. So... And prepayment penalties for them, I mean... They're pretty much dead and gone. Yeah, there I, are some local banks or whatever that have still figured out how to make it happen. It's a portfolio. It's a very happen. unique situation, but for the most part, they're gone. So I'm going to argue that there really isn't a likely reason to need a new closing disclosure with a three-day wait. Yeah, there are going to be changes that are going to require that we give a new closing disclosure, but unless it's one of those three things, you can give the closing disclosure and close the next day. Okay, so it's just not likely to 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 have the kind of impact that people are worried that the it's going to have, and I kind of blame escrow and some of the other third party companies for all the hysteria because they wanted to sound relevant. They wanted to, um, if you can be like a fear monger and then convince people that the only way to survive this is to come into my camp, right? Buy my goods, buy my services. I'm the one that can save you from this problem. And the reality there is I, I never like that tactic. It probably does work. I mean, look at the price of gold, <laughs> all those internet things and the uh, articles you can read about how the economy is going to implode and whatever here's and here's something i sell to protect you i feel like that's what's happened here and it's just not i just don't think it's that big of a deal um big big companies i think will probably be forced to keep their closing disclosure um the issuance of their closing disclosure until the loan is actually clear to close and if that's the case with the bank that you're working with then yeah you're going to have a 3 day wait from there as long as there's time for it, it's all good. If it causes a delay, then you'll understand that, you know, there are companies like ours that are going to have a little bit different workaround. Um, but I did want to just suggest to, you know, any of the realtor listenership that we have out there, if you're nervous about the, the TRID disclosures or you feel like maybe the only thing you've been hearing is the fear mongers telling you about how it's going to knock the world off its axis or something, uh, you, of course, can call us and, and get the straight talk. We're even giving a couple presentations to real estate offices this next week about TRID, about the implementation of TRID, about the potential um, problems with TRID, the delays that might be caused, and, and, and really, in the end, coming away with um, you'll, you'll be a lot more comfortable knowing that TRID isn't going to have a really negative um, effect on the market. It's just not. Uh, potentially it could by a big bank that doesn't know quite how to order these things. But uh, again, I, it's one of these things where we've been told now it's coming for over 
I mean, we've known it's coming for years and it's begun to take shape over the last year. We've had six months to freak out and complain about it. And now here the implementation is right around the corner. And I think it's just like many of the other changes. The anticipation is greater than the deed. So, but again, if any of you guys have questions about that, or maybe you want to have us come talk to your office about TRID and how to navigate it, give us a call this week at the office. The number is 543-LOAN. Five four three five six two six. We need to the final commercial break of the hour, and uh, when we get back, we'll have another quick little run to the top of the hour. So stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big bank. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just call Central Coast Lending. You buy or refinance at home, just call Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Amarillo by morning Up from San Antonio Everything that I got Is just what I've got on Alright everybody, welcome back um, Dan Sometimes I feel like the conversations we have during the break Are a little bit cooler um, than the ones we have on the air <laughs> I got a phone call yesterday um, from a guy that, uh, man, called right right out of the gate and was like, all right, 
I mean, you could tell this dude knew a little bit about the mortgage business. It turns out he had a close friend that owned a mortgage company that from another state that's not licensed here. So he did. He knew what was going on. So he called me up to grill me. What are you doing? Are you a broker or lender? Who do you sell to? You know, all these different kind of things. And um, man, really had to to get up on the A game and tell this guy about how how we do. And man, it's a that's a good conversation. It's a long conversation, honestly, because to me, there's so many facets to it. Uh, but I, I think this most simply when you go into the local bank or the the big commercial bank that's in your town, um, just feels dirty to call them your local bank. But you go into one of the lending institutions here in town, and for the most part, you are an employee of that company to sell its products. And there oftentimes aren't very many of them. You know, you can do the 30-year loan, the 15-year loan. Yeah, we do FHA loans. We do home equity line of credit, whatever. But bottom line is that's one loan product that that bank offers and there's an employee trying to sell it to you. So in talking to this gentleman yesterday, it was one of the things we talked about is, you know what? <clears throat> Some of my companies have like, I don't want to say no tolerance for um, anybody but the best of the best of the best borrowers, but that's kind of how it goes, right? There are companies that are known for all they want to do is the super vanilla borrower. They, and they don't want to monkey around in the things that get complicated or require a discerning eye. They want just a slam dunker. Oh, tons of equity, great credit, phenomenal. Here's the best interest rate in the market because you're the best borrower in the market. Um, there are other companies that don't want that guy. There's not enough money to be made there. They want to take a little risk and get a little more reward. And so they work towards borrowers that have maybe a little lower credit scores or lighter reserves or can be accommodating to some change in employment or something. Those company, you know, and so tying this thought process together here is these different companies have different appetites for different types of buyers, different types of borrowers. And you never know if it's just one company. So one of the beautiful things about a company like ours is that we literally are working with like 50 different banks. So, you know, it's, it's almost like the sorting hat. Oh, hey, you're, you need this help. And here's five companies that all like your kind of profile that want to do an FHA loan. And they're going to give you phenomenal interest rates for doing FHA. Here's a company, you know, over here that doesn't want FHA. They'll do it, but they don't want it. And that's evidenced by the fact that their rate sucks. Their closing costs are too high. Um, so, yeah, like you said, you're working on the pricing engine right now for our loan officers. And my question to you is, you know, kind of a, a lob of, you know, what is the best 15-year loan out there? And is it the same investor that's given the best 30-year loan? And is that the same bank that's always doing the best FHA loan? Yeah, each bank has a, a different appetite. Um, there are some that focus on the vanilla borrower. And when I say that, I mean the you know high credit score, low loan to value um, you know, borrower. That, that's what they're looking for. And, and they 
attract that borrower by offering the lowest interest rate, you know, the best price, lowest interest rate. That's their niche. Um, some will focus on a 30 year mortgage. Some will focus on a 15. Um, others might have an appetite for arms. It, it just depends. We have some banks in our repertoire that don't want high credit. In fact, we have one bank in particular, they focus on low credit. They have a maximum credit score, which is unheard of. They have a maximum credit score of 680. They will not accept anyone with higher than a 680 score, but they will go down to like five, 550 across the board. They only do government lending. So VA, FHA, USDA, they don't even touch conventional loans. Um, we have other banks that will do the whole gamut of products, but they really focus on, um, FHA. So it really just depends. Um, you know, there's also the agencies, there's Fannie, Freddie, FHA, um, and, and they all have their own, their guidelines. Each, each investor takes those guidelines and reviews them and they may have a more conservative opinion on some of the different nuances of the guidelines and and we call them overlays they'll overlay it with their more conservative um, view of, of whether or not to accept that guideline or how to accept that guideline and so that's something else that we have to look at it's not just based on pricing or product it's also based on eligibility um, where we slot that loan. And we try, you know, our whole mission is to balance it all out. Where are you the best fit eligibility wise? And then within that, the, the lenders that will accept your loan criteria, who's then offering you the best rate and product. So that's and, the game we play. And that's what this pricing engine is going to help us do. And sir, in your opinion, is that better than the model of working for one bank representing <laughs> one bank? You certainly have more <laughs> options. It's more cumbersome for the loan officer. It takes, you, you have to have the kind of mind where you can search through a lot of different things and keep it all straight and make sure you're not, you know, putting someone where the rate looks the best, but then finding out, 10, 12, you know, 15 days into the transaction that they don't fit eligibility wise. So it, it takes a little more thoughtfulness and a little more work on that front end. But, um, so it's harder. But your answer. But the answer at the end of the day, it's better for the consumer because he said yes. <laughs> all, Folks, he said yes. All the options are available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's yes. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's like the lending tree commercials. I've always loved those commercials, especially that one where the person works for the mortgage company and they're like walking through and they're like, um, she she's ruffling the papers and the guy's like, lending tree? It's like, yeah. Um, he's like, but you work for a mortgage company. And she's like, I know. And, um, you know, I... I hope you win. <laughs> I'm rooting for I'm rooting you. For you. <laughs> That's that thing like around our shop is um, we're not just comparing four lenders. We're comparing a lot more than that. And um, for more reasons than just price, but also that that confidence of being able to get it done and get it done at the best value. Um, so... Yeah, we're like Lending Tree using PEDs, right? Right. <laughs> Performance-enhancing um, programs. PEGs, performance-enhancing guidelines. Hey, we got to go out for the top of the hour break here. Uh, we have a few minutes, so go ahead and uh, get some more coffee, whatever you got to do. Uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes with another hour of Mortgage Matters. Stick around. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. 
Hello, hello, welcome back. Sorry, we were busy chatting yeah, again. You know how it is. Haven't seen you in like a, a week. Whoa. Weekend. <laughs> Did you see that? Just, that was I really nice. Like, was that the headphones or the hat that hit the microphone just now? I was looking at the that was, oh, that was the hand. I was wow. I went to hand. reach for my headphones <laughs> and then I slammed my microphone into my eyeball. Oh wow. That was really fun. That's really interesting. It's like it's kind of like what I do about once a week in my office, where I have my glass of water sitting by my keyboard, and I like do something really dumb, and um, next thing I know, there's water all over my desk, my lap, and my keyboard. Happens at least once a week. Interesting. So the good thing is my desk is usually cleaned very often, but yeah, um, it's probably not too know. good for your keyboard. Though. No, it's not. The keyboard doesn't like it. Last night I was using some scissors that were very pointy and sharp and i had them in my hand and somehow or other decided it was smart to scratch an itch on my cheek with With the same hand Mm. right and just not paying that good of attention with scissors i I reach Mm. up with my thumb kind of scratch and the tips pointed away the tip hit my eyelid not a and then thankfully it didn't cut me but it hit enough like it poked hard enough that i'm like I'm know. not smart. If that had hit my eye, yeah, what? it would have absolutely what is it stabbed about, my eye out. What it is it about your, your right eye? Because you just hit yourself in the right eye again with a, the microphone right now. Well, at least this is a big foam cover on exactly. it. Exactly. So. You're going to go back with a black eye on Monday. And they come in threes. Now I feel like I should just go <laughs> put a, an eye protector over it. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. Make sure it survives the weekend. <clears throat> Shoosh. Um, let's see here. I'm just looking at my notes to see what's, what else is exciting. I saw as I was uh, getting ready this morning, reading in the paper that, um, it looked like the second reading of second quarter GDP came out. It's a a little bit better than initially, um, forecast. It was at almost 4%, 3.9%. Yeah. Um, so that was a, that was good. Exciting number. That's one of the... That's a big number. That's one of the big things. I will temper that a little bit because last year we saw pretty much the same thing occur. We saw a dismal first quarter, huge rebound in the second quarter, which this was a reading for the second quarter. And then we saw a tapering into the third and fourth quarters um, to what I would say is probably more normal. So seems like we're on that same cycle again this year. You know how, uh, have you guys ever seen that thing on the internet where there's like a, a paragraph of words and when you first look at it, I mean, you can tell that it's four and five letters at a time in spaces, but they're not right. The first letter's right and the last letter's right. And you, you start staring at it and pretty soon you can read it and it's the right letters to the word, but they're internally just scrambled. Have you ever seen this? You know what I'm talking about? No, Jim, Dan letters within a word are scrambled. Hmm. Yeah. But you can read it like your mind somehow. Yeah. I type like that all the time. I always (laughs) type thanks with like a T H A K N S. It's just because the fingers don't always work the right way. Well, It's a really, really interesting thing. I'll pull it up ne- during the next break and show you the one that I'm talking about. But basically what it says, when you first looked at this, it was difficult to read, but now you're reading it at a normal speed and it makes perfect sense to you because your mind's adjusted to it. And you're like, oh my God, that was crazy. 
Um, I was reading about GDP this morning, and as I'm like chomping along, said something about ever since the Great Recession. And I read Great Depression, and so I thought to myself, wow, these guys are tying this back to something since the Great Depression. That was a really long time ago to be talking about the current economic climate. And then I got to the end of the sentence, and my comprehension told me that that didn't make sense. And I went back and I read it again. It said the Great Recession. I oh, so is this officially? Is that how this is officially being labeled? What this this downturn we went through is this the Great Recession? Yeah, I don't know. I I was just I think as you were saying it, I was wondering is that gonna what we're go calling? down into the history books that way now? I guess I don't know. Is it who Maybe. who wrote that? Uh, Someone who writes history books. It was an article. No, not. But it was a. It was like an AP article on that I read on um, U.S. News. So I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. Most recessions don't last as long as this one we had. And if you think about the financial reform that's come out of it the new regulations and you know all of this in an attempt of course to prevent this from ever happening again but i mean we had we had the creation of the cfpb um created by dodd frank which has had some really far reaching stuff it's affected the entire mortgage industry in in huge ways um and in all of this of course is addressing lending practices that led to this recession i think essentially by destroying housing <laughs> so perhaps maybe now it is the great recession i just thought it was an interesting thing um so we'll see maybe maybe this is though it'll be in the history books you're like your your kids will be reading one day about the great recession back from 2000 and something You don't seem that impressed with that. <laughs> All right. Let me go back to my notes, and that one wasn't good enough for you. Where's all your clippings, dude? Where's your notes? Yeah, what's up with that? I forgot it at the office. With I'm just your, going off memory here today. With the other stuff? Yeah. There was a number of things I was supposed to... Did you spill something get. on it? On your desk? No, I didn't. I just... <laughs> No, I I was just running behind today and I, you know, in my urgency to get here, I forgot to stop by the office. Did you get your that stuff? Was it. Yeah. There you go. It happens. Yeah. Um, here's one for you. This is an interesting thing. I think others may think it's a snore. Let's give it a whack. Durable goods. You know about durable goods, right? Yeah, those are those things that you buy that are supposed to last three or more years. Yeah. Like appliances, cars. Right, and it gives an idea of, you know, again, it's one of these things that we track because it gives an idea of the overall strength of the economy. Durable goods were expected to be minus 0.5%, right? Came out actually down two percent that's a pretty big um decline there uh core goods were flat at 0, 0.0 it's hard to make an argument that the economy is running on full steam when things like durable goods are lagging behind it that that's really 
you know, kind of the, the gist there. Some really crazy graphs I wish you guys could see. I've got an interesting uh, little tidbit. Okay. Um, there was a CoreLogic is a, a big data compiler in our industry. CoreLogic, they provide credit reports, flood certs. Um, they can do tax transcript reporting. They have a lot of access to data, um, and and they compile this data, and and you know industry insiders can access this data. And this most recent quarter, the end of the second quarter, showed that. About seven hundred and fifty-nine thousand properties regained equity. There's still underwater homes all across the country. Um, went went from a no equity to an equity having. Yeah, exactly. Seven hundred and fifty-nine thousand properties in the second quarter went from a a zero or negative equity position to a a positive equity position, bringing the total number of residential mortgaged properties with equity to 91 percent whoa so that's huge there's you know almost full recovery here um there still remains an elevated number you know this is it's still abnormal to have negative equity or zero equity in properties but um there's still there's still an elevated number about 4.4 million properties i mean we are coming off of the great recession (laughs) right that are that so uh, and it equates to about 8.7% of all properties with a mortgage still have a negative equity position but um huge huge improvement i mean that that was a big jump here in the second quarter um so it's it's a nice thing nice thing to see for people um finally yeah you know a lot of those folks with negative equity um in these last 5 years were able to take advantage of either a loan modification <clears throat> excuse me through HAMP um or a refinance through HARP to get you know their payment down by taking advantage of these low interest rates but then there's a lot of people who didn't get um a a loan that was a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or an FHA loan, and they weren't able to get into these lower rates. So a lot of these negative equity people, not only are they hanging on to a property with with no equity or negative equity, they're also still paying a higher than um, a much higher interest rate than the market rate today. They're paying six, seven percent or more sometimes, especially if they have second liens. Those are crazy. Um, so the fact that these people um, here in the second quarter, eight hundred, you know, nearly eight hundred thousand new homeowners um, who may not have been eligible for one of these um, special programs might be able to get just a, a traditional refinance now because they have equity in their home. Yeah. So good news for a lot of people. The other um, people I think that have ridden this wave for quite a while. I still see a lot of people that have adjustable rate loans that they got in 2003, four, five that are, um, most of the adjustable rate loans are like an interest only loan. For example, um, if it was a 10 year period, it could have either just recently adjusted for its first time or could be adjusting soon. And, um, there are many people that had these even five-year loans from 2005 that adjusted, and then their payment dropped dramatically. And so they go, hey, 
I'm in no hurry. These rates don't seem to be going up anytime soon. We'll keep an eye on it. And the first time they go up, we'll call and make a move. Um, and, and I think probably many people will wait until the, they find out that the Fed has raised the overnight rate, believing that that's the, the true trigger to the mortgage rate. There's a close relationship there, but it's not exact. Um, so people have had these loans and kept them. Um, I don't even want to say longer than they should. Because if you got a five-year adjustable in 2005 that adjusted in 2010 and you've been riding that pup for five years on that downward adjustment, good for you. You've done very well. Um, Many people would agree that uh, you're now getting to the point where you're pressing your luck. And what I really mean by that is that those adjustable rate loans in nature, if you had like a five-year adjustable or something, there's a there's a couple of different caps that it's the maximums that these interest rates can adjust by period and then over their life. And you, when you adjust like we have recently where the indices are all so close to zero, your payment has almost gone down um, because of the adjustment on all of these different loan programs. So the fact that the feds are so close to raising rates. I mean, we saw it already this last week. The feds did not raise rates. And because they did not, the market got better. Now, it didn't get better because it's some good long-term play. It got better because the market started building in some cushion, some protection that if rates went up right away, they weren't doling out super cheap rates the day before. That's why they got better. So that being said, this is a phenomenal time to come in and redo that adjustable rate loan into a fixed rate loan. It just, it really is one of the most ideal times that you could do it. I'd say you rode this guy as far as you could, and now it's time to finally hop off that. And so I got a couple of uh, suggestions here for people that have done that and are in that boat. Uh, First of all, yeah, it's a great time to go ahead and get a new 30-year loan if that's the course that you're on and you really just need a low payment. But let's talk about those financial goals you have and look at some of the shorter loan term options, a 25-year, a 20-year, or a 15-year loan where you really see interest rates start to get better. And uh, that's something that we, we can craft a plan, kind of work our way around the logic, and you can make the decision of what you want to do. The other The other option is you can get yourself a new five-year loan, can't you? I mean, why not? When you have your, you had a five-year adjustable, you got yourself a good margin and it was based on an index that now the index went through the floor. Um, Your loan is adjusted and it's adjusted downward. A new five-year loan today is right around two and a half percent. I mean, two and three quarters maybe, depending on your credit scenario and what you're doing. That locks you in at that two and three quarters rate for another five years. So just suggest that you really love the adjustable rate loan and it worked well for you. And so you're not inclined to race off for a more expensive fixed rate loan. Do another little arm where you just relock it again right before they spike. Get another five years at this low rate and then give it a ride again in five years' time if the environment seems like it's still a good idea. That That's another decent strategy. Um, 
but really a, a call to to anybody that's got an interest only loan or an adjustable rate loan or a second lien um, where you might just want to explore strategies of the different approaches we could take to to either get you some protection or save you some money um, in some cases both uh, but just understanding the options I think is really an important one I feel like I beat the horse a little bit on this one, but mortgage insurance, it's one of my favorite ones because it's low lion fruit. If you got mortgage insurance, give us a call. Let's figure out how to get rid of it. Um, I did see an interesting little tidbit here. People always ask, is mortgage insurance tax deductible? And it's gone back and forth. It's gone back and forth. And, and you know, I here's the correct answer is... Go talk to your tax professional. That's the correct, <laughs> correct answer. Correct answer is maybe. Yeah. Um, but from what I've been told, and this is kind of like the way that, you know, the nurse in the OR has never actually held the scalpel but could probably do an appendectomy if they needed to. This is the way I feel about tax stuff. Um, and from what we know, um, yeah, most of the time private mortgage insurance is deductible, but it's got some income limits on it. And I'm not really sure. I, I feel like for a married, like filing joint, the private mortgage insurance deduction stops somewhere around 104 or 109,000 in AGI. So in other words, if you're making $80,000 a year and you're paying mortgage insurance, it's a pretty good chance it's going to be deductible for you. If you're making more, let's say you're making $150,000 a year combined, you're paying mortgage insurance, there's not a very good chance that that's going to be deductible for you. Um, but again, it was just one more reminder to me to just say, hey, if you have mortgage insurance, let's talk. And, and I'll be honest with you, most of the time, I give this little spiel on the radio about, hey, if you have mortgage insurance, listen to what I'm telling you. Let's talk about it. Call me and talk about it. Most of the time, it, there's, a, there's a way for them to get rid of it or do something, get it lowered, go out and do that without even getting a new loan. So it doesn't have any any real benefit for us other than just continuing to gain market share by by growing credibility with our client base here in slow county but yeah give us a call let's talk about it if you have mortgage insurance conventional mortgage insurance has um really i would argue a two-year minimum from when you get it we really have spotted luck getting it to go away keeping your existing loan getting rid of your mortgage insurance to get it to go away in less than two years is difficult if you had it for more than two years it's not so difficult and um, one thing about that conventional mortgage insurance is that they take into consideration the market appreciation in your neighborhood so you know as opposed to an fha loan where your house could triple in value. They do not care. It's based on your starting price. Your starting purchase price, you need to have 78% loan to value before it goes away. Um, and the older FHA loans have a five-year minimum. The new ones have a lifetime uh, mortgage insurance requirement. So again, there's, you know, and I, I don't want to bore you guys about this, but there's so many different types of mortgage insurance on each of the different loan programs that it, it, it is too much just to describe ad nauseum. But if you call, 
we can talk about what kind of loan you have, what kind of mortgage insurance you have, and then just discuss the strategies to get it to go away. And you know, maybe that's not today. Maybe it's just something um, to look forward to in 18 months or whatever, where, you know, or in some cases we tell some people like, Hey, your mortgage insurance is a five-year minimum. And the way that you can make it go away on that fifth year is to pay an extra $493 per month. Now, Hey, maybe you can do it. Great. It's going to save you a ton of money in five years. If you can't do it, well, at least, you know, came in, figured it out, you know, made a friend, had some good talk. Now you at least understand exactly what's going to happen there. So um, just food for thought, guys. If you're in that boat, if you want that help, if you uh, are interested in in calling us, and I, and I realize really one of the main reservations here is you don't want to call salespeople because uh, they're obnoxious. I mean, <laughs> I, I really don't like giving a salesperson my phone number. Um, I recently just finally was able to shake two very good follow-uppers that called me over and over and over again. So um, we don't do that. I certainly don't do that. And folks, if we did, when I'm making those claims on the radio right now, people would be calling in to say, that's not true. These guys call too much. Nobody's going to call and say that. That's not how we roll. That's not what our business is about. Uh, it's time to take a commercial break and um, take some time out to thank the sponsors. So let's work through that. Stick around. We'll be back in a minute with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328 what a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Our exes live in Texas. <laughs> Here we go, George. All right. So, Dan, Morro Bay just, I I mean, I just saw in somewhere on the line here that uh, you guys are having some water issues. You got like some stinky, cloudy water going on. Uh, I've read that too. I haven't experienced that at my Not house. Not yet. No. I drink the tap water too. I know you do. I'm You're crazy like that. Drink tap water my whole life. It Does it stink? Dad's nah. living large. Nah. It's, good. <laughs> it's just there's extra good stuff in there. Keep an eye on the water thing. Yeah. Here's an interesting one. Did you guys hear about this uh, recent rate hike proposal for that uh, Santa Margarita water district? I did not. They have their own little... I heard they rejected it. Yeah, right? Yeah. You know why? No. So, obviously the Santa Margarita Water District isn't that big. Santa Margarita is probably relatively manageable. And with the drought, they decided that yeah, it, everybody is supposed to be reducing water usage. And mm -hmm. especially just not being wasteful, turning those things irrigation that's not necessary all that kind of stuff so they did and the people of santa margarita were good they followed a suit with most every other city around and were able to reduce their consumption by uh, 30 something percent the reduction in consumption means that they're using so much less water that now there's not enough revenue to keep the expenses met at the water district. You know what? I actually oh. did hear something about that. So now they have so, to raise the rates because you're so using they need less to raise water. the rates because you're using less water just to keep yeah. the utility there and to yeah. keep their functionality. Now the water district has an emergency fund set aside. Um, it's like fifty thousand bucks, but um, they they essentially it was there were petition. It was highly debatable, and many of the people came out to fight against it and said, no, you don't ask us to reduce consumption and then find out it's less profitable um, when we reduce and then attempt to raise the rates back. So it, essentially what you did is played a game to get us to use more and pay the same or use less and pay the same, use less and pay more. And so it failed. So the rates did not hike the district will burn through their reserve money and operate at a budget deficit until what happens next. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, without knowing what the expenses are and stuff, I mean, the, my first thought is, is there an opportunity to cut the expense side and, and operate at a break even? Because that's ideally what the thing's supposed to do. Is I don't know, but itself. I asked several of my friends that live in Santa Margarita that are property owners, and I would think you're kind of engaged when the city where you own your house in is dealing in water. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about the thing? And they just said, no way. I signed 
to reject the rate hike because if you can't be profitable enough because we're conserving, that's your problem, not mine. I'm like, well, I get that. However, if it's a bigger problem where, I mean, what happens to the Santa Margarita Water District when it becomes insolvent because of the, I mean, who's going to take it over and are they going to be any better at it or are they going to end up charging more? Are you going to pay more in the long run? And it's one of those things. I don't know the answer to those questions either. Is there an opportunity for them to eliminate expenses or not? Are they already operating super thin? I don't know enough about it to know so, but that's an interesting little thing. And I wonder if we'll see more of that popping up lately where to me, it makes sense. You your water district is used to selling, I don't know, a billion gallons and the good people are called upon to reduce it and they do and now you sell 700 million gallons and it just is like, oh shoot, at the rate that we charge for that, especially because everyone falls out of those top tiers, right? Have you ever hit the higher tier on your water bill? Um, I think once, yeah. We had a broken pipe a couple years ago that I didn't know about. And um, among, I mean, in uh, for sure, we were higher on the water usage already just being a family of five. I mean, you take a one-person household versus a, fa- a five-person family household, we use more water. And something like, you know, I forget, 20,000 gallons maybe is included in your base service fee. So... 28 bucks a month gets you these amount of water. And when you exceed that, the next tier up, it's like they sell them in 10,000 um, gallon increments or something. So from gallon 20,001 through 30,000, 30, you paid this extra incremental percentage. And then when you get like in the 30,001 to the 40,000, it's like they start doubling them. And so just like most of those utilities, if you are found in those upper tiers, it's painfully expensive quick. And and we did. We found ourselves in the upper tiers as a result of being high using anyway, but then having an irrigation leak that, that bumped us over the top. And um, so I got to imagine that for the water company, there's probably a lot of people that are in those um, – or and maybe not a lot, but there are people in those tiers that are contributing to the cash flow. And when we conserve, you knock those people out of those more expensive tiers first. That's what happens across the board. And I sure I'm sure there's still abusers or just really high need users that are over the top and still paying a lot for it. But it's interesting to see that start to see the ripples now where we could reduce and use less and now we'll have to see if all of the water districts can respond appropriately by figuring out how to operate on smaller budgets well that's an interesting thought right there maybe rather than hiking rates across the board what you what they do is they reevaluate where the threshold is right of a, a high user or you know high water usage household sure so then i mean if especially if that what you're describing is is part of the problem. If if all of a sudden a bunch of people fell out of that higher usage category, maybe they, you know, now that we're in conservation mode, we need to reevaluate where the thresholds are of of a you know a, a waste. I don't want to say wasteful, but a high user. When you look at the water bill, though, where like I mean, you you know what a gallon of water looks like. I mean, yeah, it's a gallon of milk. The same kind of volume. <laughs> um, think about that. It seems 
impossible to me that your household could use 27,000 gallons of water in a period. Is yeah, that ridiculous? Yeah. That is so much water. Um, I, it's mind-blowing to me. I can't even wrap my mind around how much water that. I mean, a swimming pool? The, the Some of these swimming pools like that you'd find in a backyard, those are probably like 10,000 gallons. That's a pretty big pool. Well, it's an average size pool. Big pool is probably 20,000 gallons. Yeah, but you're thinking taking showers, baths, you know. Laundry. Flushing the toilet. Dishwasher. Wash, brushing your teeth. Yeah, you know, no, shaving, I get it. You know. It all adds up. But it's mm. just, it's mind-blowing to me how much water it is. And it's mm. no wonder we have, like, these. You get a little seasonal drought like this, and it's no mm. wonder we have significant water problems. Mm. It's crazy. And I also read, by the way, that uh, it, the residential, as most people would probably suspect, is not actually the biggest draw. Mm-hmm. Um, in go down the rabbit hole of some of the businesses that are sucking water out of the state for profit is pretty wild. Um, well, the agriculture industry, um, yeah. just well now you hotels, drive, restaurants. <laughs> you drive down um, I five uh-huh. and. You know, there's always something, yeah, yeah. some signs on the side of the road, whether it's to buy citrus or, right. you know, what are we doing with the canal to the Delta or <laughs> now all the signs are about um, water usage and the the signs read, you know, is growing food wasting water? And, you know, well, it's, I a, would it's, argue a it's, not. it's a debate. It's a debate. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, no. I don't know, but you know, I um, I watch that show Shark Tank. I really enjoy Shark Tank a lot. I mean, some of the pitches obviously are terrible, and it just gets off track quick. Every now and again, something comes through there where I'm like, man, that's a game changer. Recently, they followed up with that dude. You remember last year they had the dude that did the little um, what's called a tree pee, I think. It was like a little teepee thing that goes over like the bottom of a tree or over a small plant or whatever. And, yeah, and the, yeah. it watered right inside this little teepee thing to keep it right on the and it where it, it needed shaded. to be. Right. They said it reduced water consumption per vine or tree or whatever by some ridiculous amount. So anyways, they were doing a shark tank that was following up with those people. That dude was one of the all-time favorites, that farmer guy, because of the way he talked about the farmers and the the reverence for his dad and all that. Uh, it, guy was a touching guy, so he was definitely noteworthy to follow up with. They followed up with him. He is having tremendous success and um, selling these things all over the place, still at a really low price point. That's one of the things that I ended up wondering about, though, is like, no, it's not. To answer your question, no. Growing food is not wasting water for me. However, are you practicing the very best uh, water use and conservation plans on your property with everything you're growing at all times? And I'm going to argue most of the time it's a no. When you see those clowns watering into the wind, you go, no, that's not. I don't care if you are growing, you know, some cancer curing fruit, don't water the wind. That's just <laughs> right. not, that's not a good <laughs> practice. <laughs> hey, we've got a caller on the line. We've got RB calling from Morro Bay. Morning. Good morning. Morning. Hey, I just, I, I was just listening to your comment about farming and, you know, not to take you to task or anything, <laughs> but you guys don't think it's a problem for somebody to invest in real estate 
and, you know, make a huge profit. Uh, I mean, it's why the average working guy can't afford to buy a home is because the prices of real estate. And then you're giving the farmer a bad time because he's growing crops. He's out there working his butt off in the fields. And I just, you know, I just wanted to comment. I think I think you need to kind of look at your priorities. Okay, that's very fair. Thanks for thanks for the call, Arby. We appreciate it. I think because you and I were kind of involved with that, Dan. I think you and I were kind of saying it's not a waste of water. Yeah, I to think we all were crops. agreeing that. I, yeah. yeah, I perhaps there's a misunderstanding, but yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I was just saying those are the signs you see as yeah. you drive up I five. Yeah. Is it wasting water? And uh, I think we're all in agreement that no, we we all want to eat. We all want to eat local yeah. California grown foods because it's better for our California economy. Um, mm-hmm. But we all agree that you know let's let's try to use it as efficiently as we can, whether it's in our residential household or in an agricultural way. Um, other signs that I see as I drive up, you know, I five, and the farmers are letting you know as you're passing by that they have invested mm-hmm. millions, if not billions, of dollars in the last um, decade or more to make their water usage more efficient. Um, but nevertheless, they are by volume, they are still the biggest users of water, and I mean these are just facts. So. It's that's all we we're saying. Yeah. I, I don't think we're taking a, a negative stance yeah, on farming. I, I don't. I, I was. I'm racking my brain trying to think of the statement that led to that. And yeah. uh, if anything, I'd say that's certainly not the sentiment we intend to share. Yeah. I have a bunch of buddies that are farmers, and um, it's interesting to me. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about that, in terms of water, but also pesticides, if you want to have the you know, organic debate or not. But most of the time, the people that I know that are farmers and run farms, they come back saying, mm-hmm. no, we're not hurting our land or growing things that are damaging to people or being wasteful with our water. It's our livelihood. We are growing food we eat and feed our community. And we are interested in always having water on our property. So we always do the the most responsible thing we can with all of the decisions on the farm and hearing that explanation that way, it made a lot of sense to me. It really does. When you look at that, that in particular, that device, the little cone thing, the guy built for shark tank, um, it made me think, man, I, it, I am not for more government involvement, but this is something where it's like, they should just be able to go around and say, if you use X amount of water, you must use this. Oh, that you know? seems like a good product for even a residential household. If that's going to help, um, you know, reduce usage. Because, like, I have a house where I have fruit trees and things like that. And I I enjoy the fruits that come from the trees. And right. But if I can incorporate these little teepees that are going to help shade the base of the tree and I've, keep the I need ground to, moist I need for to look longer. It up. That's great. I need to yeah. look it up and see what it said. But, I mean, it was literally like it's it's a crazy percentage of water that it saved. I'm going to look it up right now. Well, and I think uh, none of us would argue the fact, too, that we need to quit worrying about the water when we're in a drought and start worrying about the water all the time. Totally. That's and a great And also start desal a lot more. Yeah. I mean, there's a big, there's, so there's a big body things. of water out there that we totally ignore usually. And 
you know, like Santa Barbara just turned down their desal plant again. Well, they should have been running it the whole time. Yeah. And like, you need to get like places like all the coastal communities, but I pick on Los Angeles, San Diego and all that more to tell them you got to quit taking the water from elsewhere and you got to start the desal process. Yeah. You have to check this out. This it's called the, um, the tree TP. Okay. And I mean, I just looked it up. I just Googled shark tank tree TP. Um, they conducted a study. It was done by the university of Florida showed that trees with the TP on them use 93% less water. Wow. Wow. Fertilizer, electricity, and fuel. Wow. These things are, and ain't much to it. It just protects and shields the base, and water is immediately there, prevents the runoff or the blow away in the wind of water, and just directs it and makes it most efficient. That's brilliant. I want. Anyway, I love that show. I love that product, and it was awesome to to see. They kind of went back and showed uh, what the sales have been doing, and um, whole agricultural outfits adopting this. And I couldn't help but wonder if if we all, if every um, you know practical use of this in farming was implemented, could we almost stop the worry about water? Yeah, possible. Um, I think it's time for the last break of the show. I want to thank RB one more time for the call. We always appreciate your comments and, and questions. It helps make our show better. We want it to be interactive. And uh, I think we're all in agreement that we appreciate the local farmers growing us some local great food, great products, um, especially in our area. I mean, that's one of the big um, things that keeps San Luis Obispo County a, a great place, a viable county, great economy is uh is because of our local farmers so um we're in agreement and uh it's time for a break so we'll be right back with the finale of mortgage matters to ask a question or make a comment call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending. 
Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328358. State of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. All right, welcome back. Um, loyal listeners of the show over there at um, Napa in Slow, and I got I got to give a shout out to the folks over at Napa. Um, my wife, her car broke down this week, and um, I like to wrench on things, so I used to do it a lot, but I prefer really simple cars, and... Uh, so this is a Honda Odyssey, like the minivan is that's not simple. There's a lot of uh, very complicated things under that hood. But I figured out what it was was the alternator, and I went over to Napa and they had it in stock, and I bought it and I fixed the car. What do you think about that? Cool. It was really cool, but um, yeah, in, in I I really always want to remind people about that being a local business. They're local owners, very good people, um, very helpful, and just uh, and actually, you know, not that it has much bearing, but also clients of our company. And so I just really appreciate that having that business here in town, and uh, want everybody to know that I, I think that's a great place to go spend some money. Even though they don't advertise on Mortgage Matters. <laughs> it's not really aligned with the show. Auto repair? Yeah. Now maybe, Auto maintenance? Now Motor Mouse. They'd be a great sponsor for Motor right? Mouse. Maybe they should be on Motor Mouse. Who knows? Uh-oh, there's a call coming. We lost our phone manner. You know how to do it? If you're calling right now and no one's answering, keep just just keep trying because Jim walked away from the phone. And if you guys could see this thing, it's got a lot of buttons, and I'm not positive how it works. I bet Dan probably can. He's probably going to put somebody straight onto the air. Uh-oh. Still there? Gone? Got it? Oh, didn't get it. Bummer. Jim will be back to the chair in a minute. So if that was you and we miss you, uh, call back five four three eight eight three zero. Hopefully, we can figure out how to use the phone next time. I think I know how to do it. I've done it a few times. All right, just didn't get there in time. I just don't ever want to push the buttons over there because I don't want to be the guy that like does the thing that leads to the problem. I don't know what the problem is. Some irate caller using some of the bad words that you can't say or something. Oh, that button's easy to find. Pro- or probably yeah. a farmer mad now that you criticize them dan yeah there's the phones yeah let's do that we have some minutes here so let's do that <laughs> if you if you want to we have more minutes if you want to ask a question or share a comment um correct dan when he's um <laughs> passively aggressively uh, attacking farmers uh 543-8830 is the number to the studio 
We'll take your questions. We'll take your comments. We'll do our best. No, that's not a good one. All right. All right. Worth a shot. Worth a try. Yeah. <sighs> Man, what else? Do you stretch here. Just um just you know, excited about business going forward. There's a lot of a uh, lot more activity. Um I I've seen here in the last week as I do my weekly reporting of activity, I'm seeing it pick up. I'm seeing the yeah, the mortgage pipeline really pick up. A lot of purchase activity, people, you know, their offers being accepted and um and that's that's good. People are have yeah, been I waiting and looking and it's hard to find a house. This morning I was looking at um they said nationally the the 30-year fixed rates at 3.9% and um that's probably a touch higher than what you could get here, but not by much. Um, mortgage rates are different in different parts of the countries, uh, or different part of the country, uh, probably countries, countries too, yeah, but too. specifically here. Um, and, and I think it's in part because you get off, you know, if you got to run a company that makes a percent, like say you make 1% of your loan amount in California, you make 1%, it's probably enough to be able to pay rent and keep the lights on. You get out to a spot like Elkhart, Indiana, where, um, you know, a house, you can buy a house, like a real house for 50, 40, 30,000 bucks. It's harder to make a living on that. And so those but rates it's all are relative too. yeah, Just, but those rates are a little bit higher. I think that's yeah. why they're higher. Yeah, yeah that's the definitely. only reason I can think logically. I mean, I don't know. Well, the, the, the big aggregators of loans, they're ultimately just, you know, operate on percentage of dollar amount. So, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you'd want to poach the the coastal areas with the higher the higher loan amount so you could make more money per. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so 3.9% for a 30-year fix is pretty darn good. It's um, really good. I, I think historically it's a phenomenal rate. Yeah, in the last couple of years, there's probably a couple strike points where it could have possibly been a little bit lower. But um, very good interest rates right now. Um, and, you know... As a reminder, USDA is having a little change this month. The upfront mortgage insurance fee is going from 2% to 2.75%. That's a pretty big jump. That fee gets financed, but that means if you buy a $100,000 house, you're going to come away with a loan in the end that's $102,750. Like you literally are going to start out with negative equity because you get 100% financing. They charge you a two and three quarter percent funding fee and then tack it onto the loan. That being said, just circle back to the, probably the most important part of what I just said. You can buy a house with a USDA loan with 100% financing, no down payment. We literally have seen people buy homes in Slow County without having any money at all into the transaction. And what's amazing is when you compare it to an FHA loan with three and a half percent down or a conventional loan with five percent down, the payment on that USDA loan is one of the lowest. I think it's like right in line with the conventional loan. It's it's definitely lower than the yeah. FHA loan. So least money out of pocket, 
very close to the lowest monthly payment, it's a great way, especially for a first-time home buyer, to get into owning a home. Yeah, and I feel like we're, unless the loan limits get increased this year, which there's talk that they may, uh, but for now, the maximum loan amount that can be borrowed on a USDA loan is 417000 bucks. But hey, there's some parts of our county where you can still buy a home for $417,000 or less and use an FHA or I mean a USDA loan to accomplish that with no money down. Um, the other options that exist, I mean, conventional 3% down or conventional 5% down, FHA 3.5% down. Um, there's some phenomenal loan products out there right now. And every time I turn around, um, they're even getting a little bit more lenient. Uh, we keep seeing things like this week, for example, um, Freddie Mac dropped an ad they or a, a guideline they had that when you had a second that you had to reduce your maximum loan to value by 5%. So they no longer are um, so concerned about that, that just those little leniencies are happening every day. As Dan mentioned earlier in the show, um, many people are back in the, the flush or positive equity position. Um, we can help you if you need to refinance, if you need to get rid of your mortgage insurance, if you need to get out of that adjustable rate loan or maybe get a new adjustable rate loan. Uh, those are all the kind of things that we can help with. And we'd be really honored to have the opportunity to help you with that. Uh, we're a local business. We're a owner operated family run business here in slow with offices around the County. One phone number rings them all five, four, three loan, which is five, four, three, five, six, two, six. And additionally, you guys can go over there um, on the line and find us uh, at centralcoastlending.com. We got a website on there where you can check out the company, read the bios, research the loan programs, check out the calculators, um, you know, work through reading the articles. There's lots of great content on there, um, but it's all useless to you unless you go click. So check out centralcoastlending.com, poke around. Decide if we can help you. Um, we'd, we'd love to help you, your friends, your family, anybody you know uh, with their lending needs. Again, if you need to buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Right? So nice. That's the way the jingle goes. Yeah. yeah. I think one of you guys should sing it. Take us out with <laughs> just it. Just call 543-LOAN. Jim's so comfortable on the radio. <laughs> Thanks much for being with us today, guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week. I guess we'll see you here in October. Have a great week.